1: And welcome to episode 72 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis.
2: And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsors. Clio, online practice management for attorneys at goclio.com. Carbonite Business, online backup for your law office. Carbonite Business backs up your files automatically and continually, so you're always protected. Try it free at carbonite.com and get two free months with offer code REPORT. And Firm Manager from LexisNexis, a leading provider
1: of information and business solutions. Get your free 30-day trial at firmmanager.com slash L-T-N. In our last podcast, we discussed how a series of recent updates have dramatically changed our user experience on a variety of social media platforms. In this episode, we honor ESPN's Pardon the Interruption show, one of our inspirations for this podcast, and borrow their format for a retrospective on legal tech in 2011. Tom it's funny that we had two clear inspirations for this podcast PTI and Slate's political gabfest yet perhaps predictably for us ended up with a format that is not even close to either of them Tom you want to let our listeners
2: know what what to expect in this episode Sure, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we'll be adapting some of our favorite parts of the PTI program, uh, which is also available as a podcast. First, we'll cover what we think are the biggest tech headlines of the past year. Then we'll play odds makers and make some predictions for 2012. Then we'll engage in a little wordplay with legal technology topics, and we will end with a fast-paced big finish. But first, let's get started with uh, some of the biggest legal tech stories of 2011. Dennis.
1: Yeah. Tom, headline number one, eDiscovery. If you counted the number of e-discovery sessions and vendors at the l- big legal tech conferences this year, you'd have to conclude that there was no bigger topic in legal tech in 2011. Yet I know you got a number of emails from me saying that I thought e-discovery was a sleepy area mm-hmm. in 2011, even yeah. though we did a, a podcast that talked about the seemingly hot topic of predictive coding. eDiscovery,
2: Tom, hot or not? Um, can I say lukewarm? I I agree that it's been a relatively quiet year in the world of e-discovery. I I think that just means, frankly, that e-discovery is turning more mainstream. It's turning more into regular discovery as more and more lawyers start dealing with it. Uh, I think we saw some big acquisitions this past year. Symantec bought Clearwell to add an additional e-discovery component to his enterprise vault, and, and HP purchased Autonomy because well, you know, that's, a, I guess, a really good question why HP bought autonomy. What it means is that we're seeing some of the big players making some major moves to provide end-to-end systems, not just for e-discovery, but I think also for records management purposes. We did have a lot of big case law that came out this year. We, no groundbreaking opinions, although I, I was interested in the Pippin versus KPMG case regarding proportionality and Green versus Blitz on self-collection. I think that drew a lot of attention because it was rather an, uh, an interesting sanction that was issued, where we, I think, really have started to see a lot of attention is in the move towards a possible new federal rule for preservation the rule making committee is is working right now and considering adopting a rule that would essentially codify the preservation obligation and a couple of proposed rules are being considered uh, by them have been suggested by a lot of people but but this is something i think that's going to take a long time to work out Uh, the original rules took more than six years so stay tuned dennis
1: yeah, lukewarm might be a good good word, Tom, but I'm, I'm sort of thinking if there's something between lukewarm and, and cold that might be more appropriate, I, I would really hate to use the word cool in connection with e-discovery. I think, it, I, Tom, when I listened to you, I sort of think there wasn't a lot uh, going on. There was some consolidation, um, it, but it also seems like everything that I see and read about e-discovery is, is sort of more woe is me from, from, from lawyers talking about, uh, you know, how much work they've kind of created for themselves, and how they've tried to handle e-discovery. And I, I, and I see a real lack of focus on on client concerns. Um, and there's talk about new rules, but they seem really minimal tweaks to me. Um, there's some interesting technologies that that have some potential, and, and there's some thought going on, but it just seems really kind of sleepy. And that uh, you know it seems this is getting more attention than what's going on. And, and you're right. It could be that it's just this it's folding into regular discovery, but it still seems like lawyers are sort of protesting too much and, and there's more talk than action. Um And, and I sort of think when you go back to what I was saying, the more focus on clients, I think that, and the can, and, you know, some of those mergers you talked about and acquisitions, I think that it's a move toward records management and that records management uh, we're going to find that really is the umbrella over all this. And e-discovery is just going to become a small sector in records management. I don't know. You probably have more insight into that than I do, Tom.
2: No, I completely agree. I think that uh, that records management is the foundation of all of these electronic discovery issues. I really think that, and, and that's not a surprise to the people that listen to us. We've talked about that a lot, um, that, 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 that many of the companies are realizing that in order to get your e-discovery house in order, you've got to get records management in order. But really, I think that the reason why you're seeing e-discovery covered so much at tech conferences is that e-discovery is something that's increasingly affecting lawyers whose clients have to produce electronic documents in, in litigation or regulatory matters. As, as my friend and former colleague Dennis Kiker says, e-discovery is not a hobby. It's a discipline. <coughs> lawyers need to be educated on the basics of e-discovery, I think, or they are gonna risk a lot for their clients in court. Let's move to the next headline, social media. Dennis, social media certainly began to flex its muscle. In 2011, protesters around the world made good use of social media to coordinate their message. Google finally jumped into the social media pool and made a huge splash with Google+. And Facebook now has more than 800 million active users worldwide. And yet, we don't see lawyers moving to use social media in droves. What's the deal? Dennis, with lawyers and social media, are they behind the times? Or is social media an overhyped marketing tool? yeah I think the whole uh you're right in two thousand and eleven
1: the protest movement occupy all those all those things really showed uh in addition to the response to disaster really showed what social media can do and i i don't know that we'll see you know uh, law firm associates do a, an occupy big firm this year but but I think you see lawyers doing using social media i think there's a generational aspect. Uh, lawyers are still a little wary. I know that when I speak and I ask lawyers what social media, uh, they're using, it's pretty predictable. I mean, it's LinkedIn. It's, uh, certainly a definite increase in Facebook. Um, but when I ask people who are tweeting or they understand Twitter, it's, it's still a really small, uh, per, percentage. Um, there's a great, uh, post today, Tom, uh, by one of my favorite commenters, Marshall Kirkpatrick on the Read Write web blog, uh, about, uh, social media 's explosive growth is really only beginning, and, and I think one of the points he and others are making is that social media has really become part of the the fabric of what we do with technology and our use of the internet, and so it 's in a way it 's going to disappear as, as as a topic itself in the same way that we don 't do as much talking about. You know, internet law or, you know, the internet is a separate thing. It just becomes more integrated. And I think social media is now part of that internet experience that we all have. So I don't know that, you know, lawyers, you know, I suppose in some ways lawyers are behind on it, but they're at least nibbling at social media. But I, th- I think they're going to find social media concepts like sharing, commenting, those sorts of things just become part of the fabric of the the everyday use of the internet.
2: You know, I really think, that there's a lot of social media fatigue out there right now. It, it seems like every month a new social media service is rolling out, and the early adopters rush over to try it. And soon, you and I both, and others, are receiving invites and updates from a dozen or so services. And I think that lawyers have trouble understanding which services to stick with and and how much to engage. And I think that's that's part of the reason why we probably don't see as many lawyers w- doing it the right way. And I, I also think that that most law firms, and I'll and I'll say law firms, and not just specifically lawyers, but maybe more firms – I don't really think they engage on social media the way that they should. I see a lot of firms that tweet out a lot of spam about recent articles written by their lawyers or press releases announcing new lawyers or good trial results or business deals or things like that. I rarely see lawyers from those big firms actually engaging with people on Twitter, you know, showing their personality or having a conversation or 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 being human. And I think this is what current social media efforts lack, and I think that's why we still are not going to see a a lot of lawyers rushing to social media in the coming year.
1: You know, Tom, uh, Actually, I do want to pat ourselves on the back, but I think the, our the uh, the article we wrote and what we've been talking about is uh, the non marketing uses of social media is, is really a good way for lawyers to look at this. I think there is sort of this over concentration on uh, you know using social media for marketing and, and with the idea of like oh I'm going to grab these new clients through social media and then then people understandably are baffled how you could use something like Twitter to pull in a, a new client. It's really difficult. It's kind but if you say I social media becomes part of, you know, how I interact with people on the Internet and how I talk about my business, share my expertise um, and do the functions of social media, then then I th- I think that lawyers will be happier. So, like I said, I think it will become more just built into the fabric of how how lawyers use the Internet. So a little bit overhyped, but but I, I think we're going to see uh, it definitely becoming more of a part of what lawyers do. Next headline, cloud computing. So it seems like uh, all the time we hear about cloud computing. We've heard this for the last few years, but a lot in 2011. And I know I'll be speaking at ABA Tech Show as part of a full day track on cloud computing. But I'm still not sure that most lawyers could pass a pop quiz about cloud computing and what it is. Have lawyers already moved into the cloud and
2: not realized it? Yes, yes, yes. And their law firms have too. I think if you're using Gmail or some other web service for your mail, you're in the cloud. If you do your banking online, you're arguably in the cloud. Companies, including law firms, I'm working with a lot of companies now who are increasingly using third-party providers to store their data. Lots and lots of them. These are all cloud services. I think the idea of the cloud is really not all that difficult to understand. There are there are some components of the cloud, like software as a service or platform or infrastructure as a service that I think might be confusing to lawyers. But I'll pose the question, do lawyers really need to know all that stuff to be able to use it or to to, to work with or have data in the cloud? I think that lawyers need to know the basics. How does the service work? Where's my data? Is it secure? How do I get it back um, if I don't want to use it anymore? There's lots of great sites out there that that give the basic checklist of questions that lawyers need to know about the cloud. I'm greatly simplifying this. I, I think there's no question that there are things that lawyers need to know and ask before they entrust their client data to the cloud. But I'm I'm still not sure why we still need to treat cloud computing as this new thing, because I think that's how it's being treated. Yeah, I think you're right, Tom, that there
1: is this sort of... Uh you know, at, in a way, this sort of obfuscation out there about the cloud. And so the cloud, to talk about cloud computing sort of disguises what it really is. And and so I think people kind of overthink, overexplain that. And, and it's difficult to come up with a simple definition, but it really is pretty simple what's going on. And I like to concentrate on on the effects and what you can do and and I, and I do think that a lot of us have moved to the cloud without really realizing uh that we've done that and and there are some big developments that are going to increase that even more so so Apple's iCloud um I think will will be huge and and then I think the way all of us use smartphones you know the apps on smartphones and all those things um to uh keep data elsewhere to have processing happen Outside the hardware that we use, those are all cloud applications. And I think it's just going to become second nature to people. And, and again, it's it's one of those technologies. It feels like it's just going to disappear in, into the background. And, you know, maybe in a couple of years, we won't be talking about cloud computing and, and it would just be
2: part of the nature of how things work. I think that once lawyers understand and, and, and get, a, get an idea by using their smartphones or by using an iPad or some other tablet, um, once they see the types of things that, that can be, be accomplished with cloud computing and they, and they become used to saying, oh, I can access my email from everywhere, I can access this from everywhere, I think they're going to start demanding the same things from their legal tools and their, and their legal technology. And I think that's when, when I think that, that lawyers will really start to get it about cloud computing. All right, next topic iPhones, iPads, Macs, oh my, this year was supposed to be the year that other manufacturers uh, brought the heat, caught up to Apple and its trifecta, the iPad, the iPhone, and Mac computers. We, we heard how Android was supposed to eat Apple's lunch, how the iPhone and the iPad were soon going to be eclipsed by new Android phones or competitors from BlackBerry and Amazon, and yet here we are at the end of the year, and the iPad is still the most popular tablet, and the iPhone 4S just broke all kinds of sales records this year. Should we just acknowledge? We're living in Apple's world and get used to it, Dennis. Tom, that might be the case for some of us. I know 2011 was
1: I just moved whole hog into the Apple world. I'm you know, MacBook Air, iPad 2, iPhone 4. You know, so I'm, I'm, I'm all in on Apple. And, and it's, this is an important year with the death of Steve Jobs possibly being the top tech story. But I think that you do see this, uh, this, this movement of, of lawyers toward the Apple world. And, and Apple seems to have gotten a lot of things right. And um, you keep reading about competitors. And, and what, what, I, what I find thinking about Apple and my, my approach to the Apple devices and such is that when I hear people talk about Android or some of the competitors, there's all this talk about features and processor speed and technicals specifications and all this and the fact is that what apple gives you is access to this incredible app system that allows you to get things done that you want to get done in an easy way and and i think until the competitors uh, can do something about that sort of ease of use the great software the great user experience um it's going to be uh, it really is going to be an apple world and and uh and I guess we we do need
2: to kind of get used to that. <laughs> look the simple fact is that Apple makes good quality products that have a relatively easy learning curve. They also have great marketing, which which is is a also a, a big benefit. I think Android phones are beating the pants off iPhone mostly because of the fragmentation in the market. I think uh, that everyone and their dog is rolling out Android phones by the dozen, but iPhone is still one of the best sellers this year uh, the, the and it's because it's a quality tool that people just know how to use. The BlackBerry Playbook, the HP Touchpad, I think even the Kindle Fire although it's uh, I, I don't want to lump them all in together they all attempted to dethrone the iPad and none really succeeded primarily I think because none of them have the features that make the iPad so powerful these devices all have their places and their functions so I'm not you know I'm not dinging them I, they undoubtedly have a market at least the Kindle Fire does I don't know necessarily about the others but but none of them were the iPad killers that were predicted so I guess I fall in the same area that you do Dennis that uh, you know all the other people just need to sort of get over it
1: yeah and i and I, and I would go back to the point in time that i th- I think that with the, the Apple competitors are this sort of emphasis on engineer, engineering, and engineers' points and what engineers would like, and it's say an the emphasis on the technical. While I think w- when you're using the Apple products, you just sort of feel like, oh, this is this is fun to use, this is easy to use, and I can get jump into things I'm doing, and, and you're not as concerned about the technical specs, and and, and you know sometimes I, I feel on some of these other the other products that it, it just <laughs> seems that it's really overly technical. And, and I just want a, something simpler to use. And I think that's the benefit that we, we find in, in Apple's world. But, but it'll be interesting to see how things develop
2: in the post-Steve Jobs era. Tom, let's move on to the next segment. That's it for headlines. Now it's time for odds makers, where Dennis and I predict the future on some important legal tech topics, and then I win. Tom, what are the odds that 2012 will be the year that BlackBerry loses its place as the smartphone most used by lawyers? (laughs) Well, you know, I think BlackBerry had a pretty miserable 2011. The, The playbook was a failure as a tablet device. RIM service was out for nearly three days, leaving people without access to their email, costing the company a ton of money. And I think I've just read recently that BlackBerry's share of the smartphone market is really low now. They currently have 16% of the market compared to 47% for Android and 29% for Apple. But but the question here, your question, specifically addresses lawyers. And, and we know that most lawyers are hesitant to give up their devices. We also know that many firm IT departments are hesitant to open themselves up to supporting multiple phone platforms, although that is happening more often. I still think that most firms are still hesitant. So I'm going to be conservative here. I'm going to put the odds of BlackBerry losing its prominence among lawyers at twenty-five percent. Dennis,
1: I I think the uh, the big thing in, in changing in the the smartphone world is really uh, the the uh, the phone plan that you have, and so whether you're on a two year, multiple year, one year plan, a sort of sense most people are on this two year plan. So I think this the movement actually happens slowly. It's clear a lot of people are looking into alternatives to BlackBerry. I go a little bit higher time, but I but I think it's the the change itself will be slow because of because you probably going to be changing plans, and it's a pretty significant rollout. But I'm going to put it about forty percent.
2: All right, Dennis, next question. What are the odds that lawyers will be using LinkedIn more than their Outlook contacts in 2012?
1: You know, Tom, Alison t- Shields are writing a book on, on, on LinkedIn for, for lawyers. And, and sort of the interesting thought I had while I was working on the book was that, uh, or maybe observation I have, was that uh, LinkedIn gave you this opportunity to keep Up with changes in your contacts in a way that you typically didn't do on your own in your Outlook contacts. So you might hear that somebody got a new job, but it could be a year or more later before you actually got around to updating your contacts. And at LinkedIn, because people are sort of self updating their profiles, uh, would become a better place to get uh, better contact information. So um, I don't know that, you know. The world is going to change that rapidly, but, but I think it's a really cool use of LinkedIn. And so I, I think there could be, you know, maybe a 20 to 30% chance that, that people will start to turn first for contact information, uh, sort of live contact information, uh, email addresses, phones, phone numbers, that sort of thing, uh, to LinkedIn rather than, than digging into their Outlook contacts, which may be well out of
2: date. Dennis, I love LinkedIn, and I know a lot of people consider it to be their online Rolodex, but there are a lot of people in my Outlook contacts that I really don't want to connect with on LinkedIn. You you know, you connect with someone on LinkedIn for professional networking reasons, and and let's face it, not everyone we work with is somebody that we want to network with. Uh, Plus, I'm still on the kick that lawyers are slow to give up what works for them. And so that's why, although I, I was about to put it at 25%, but if you're so optimistic, then maybe I ought to put mine at 15%.
1: Okay, Tom, what are the odds that lawyers will start bringing their own computers to work
2: next year? You know, Dennis, we talked about this in a podcast earlier this year, or maybe it was last year, but we, we, we talked about it before, and I'm still skeptical about seeing lawyers doing this, you know, except in two situations. One, where lawyers own their own firm, whether they're a solo or small firm, and they can control the technology that they use. Or two, where big firms make the big decision to allow lawyers to have their own computers. I know that, that we we talked about this. We, we mentioned a firm or two that were doing this. But frankly, I haven't heard of any other firms doing this other than the one or two that we mentioned in the podcast. So I'm, I'm willing to be reasonably optimistic, but I'm going to stick. I, all my numbers have been low so far. So let's, let's put the odds of lawyers doing this at 25%.
1: And Tom, I, I think this is really tied to cloud computing at heart. And so, as uh, you see more adoption to cloud computing, then the uh, and you have more things going on outside the internal network than the device that you use. Um, you know, actually becomes less important; doesn't need to be standardized as as much. I I think probably the breakthrough device here in this trend is the iPad, and and I just think a lot of lawyers, you know, have waited long enough probably if they don't have an ipad and would like to start using it in their firm so i i i think In general and across the board, if we were actually able to get an accurate measure by the end of 2012, we might see a combination of, especially focusing on the iPad category, that you could see maybe 40% of lawyers using their own devices in in firms. So I see it's a significant change.
2: That's just crazy. Crazy talk. All right. (laughs) Last question. Dennis, what are the odds that most lawyers will still be using Office 2007 in, well... 2012. That's 100 percent, Tom. There's, there's <laughs> nothing that lawyers are, and law firms are slower
1: about than, than moving, changing versions of office, except maybe uh, the one thing I know that we're not going to talk about on on, on this podcast list is Windows 8, which may be the first irrelevant uh operating system update ever but i i just think that uh there's so you see so much in the new versions of office and lawyers just stay behind and and a lot of lawyers complain about not being able to do things that are in the newest versions i just don't see any incentive uh for the it departments at firms to to move people up and so um i it i just think
2: that people are not going to see a lot of Office updates in, in 2012. Oh, I didn't think I was going to be as uh, more optimistic on this than you, but it looks like I might be. But, you know, I'm, I work with some companies who are still using Office 2003, which is a real drag when I have to work with them. Interestingly, I think more lawyers are using 2007 than 2003, but but I don't think they're quite ready for 2010. I agree with you there. I, I think Office 2010 doesn't offer any features that a lawyer can't live without. I mean, it's a... It's an incremental upgrade from 2007. I love it. I love using it, but I can see where it doesn't contain any must-have features. And I'd wager that a lot of lawyers still haven't mastered that dadgum ribbon in Office 2007. So I'm going to stay consistent with my other predictions, but actually flip the number and say that there's a 75% chance most lawyers will still be using Office 2007 in the coming year. And that's it for odds makers. It's 100% over, and as usual, I win. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from our sponsors: Clio, Carbonite Business, and Firm Manager by LexisNexis. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, President of Clio. Jack is going to introduce us to the world of cloud computing and how it can be beneficial to lawyers and law firms. Jack, we're hearing great things about cloud computing and its utility for law firms. Can you tell me why so many lawyers are excited about cloud computing?
1: I think the most important thing about cloud computing from a lawyer's perspective is that it gives them the power and breadth of features that traditional desktop and server-based software uh, gives them without all of the IT overhead and inconvenience. So there's uh, all the benefits and none of the downsides of traditional desktop-based software. And they're able to focus on practicing law with a really solid cloud computing platform behind them. But so I think that's where you're seeing a lot of the, the excitement is. They're now able to realize the the potential of IT without all of the headaches.
2: We've been talking to Jack
0: Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack.
1: Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's
0: g-o-c-l-i-o.com. If you like listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, you might also like the podcast, Law Technology Now on LegalTalkNetwork.com. Backing up your business files can be a hassle, and it's hard to know if you're doing it right. That's why more law offices are using Carbonite Business Online Backup. With Carbonite Business, your files are backed up automatically and continually. They're stored safely off-site, and each employee can access their backed-up files privately on any computer or on their smartphone or iPad. Try it free at Carbonite.com and get two free months with Offer Code Report. That's Carbonite.com. Offer Code Report. If you're like many solo and small firm attorneys, it can be challenging to manage both your practice and give your clients the attention they need. Well, now you can do it all free for 30 days with LexisNexis Firm Manager. Built from the ground up for attorneys like you, It's an easy way to get organized, master your business, and keep your clients happy. Firm Manager is secure, web-based, and mobile, so you can manage your practice anytime, anywhere, from your laptop, smartphone, iPad, or tablet. No IT hassles, no long-term commitments, and best of all, no more worries about what needs to be done. Get your free 30-day trial of LexisNexis Firm Manager today at firmmanager.com/ltn. That's firmmanager.com slash LTN. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial playing in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781 551 9960 or shoot us an email at admin at LegalTalkNetwork.com. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn too.
2: And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm
1: Dennis Kennedy. In this segment, we play Word Up and end with the big finish. First, Word Up, where I astound Tom with my stupefying vocabulary and (laughs) send Tom scrambling for a dictionary. Here we go. Tom, lawyers should think of new software developments like predictive coding and IBM's Watson as blank as
2: salvation. One thing lawyers who do e-discovery know is that the volume of data they have to review is not getting smaller. On the contrary, it's exploding exponentially. While I'd like to see the companies who have this information do more to actually properly manage their records, you know, we talked about records management, and get rid of records that are past their retention periods, I can't expect that that alone is going to solve the problem. That's why I'm encouraged by the predicted coding software that can really reduce the amount of time a lawyer has to spend reviewing documents. I think we're still sort of in the early days of using this software on a widespread basis, but it definitely has the potential of saving lawyers from hours and hours of mind-numbing review and saving clients from having to pay a lot of extra money to those lawyers. Dennis.
1: My word is friends. I think you should see these the software as friends. And, and the example I would use also is uh, is the Apple's new Siri, which you can use on the iPhone uh, uh, 4S. And, and the notion here is, is I think that lawyers see a lot of these software as competition to what they do, but I think it's more like they're a virtual assistant and help remove some of the really mind-numbing uh, tasks that lawyers are doing right now that can be better done by machine. And so I, I think rather than to be resistant to some of these these uh, improvements in technology and some really innovative things, uh, people should, uh, lawyers should treat them as friends and as possible assistants uh, r- rather than enemies to be defended against.
2: All right. The next word. A recent survey reporting that 94 percent of the Amlaw 200 law firms plan to use blogs in their social media marketing initiatives is blank.
1: Hallucinatory, Tom. <laughs> I, I saw this and it, it just blew my mind. And so I but I think the uh, the key word in, in the the stat was Planning to use blogs in social media initiatives. I guess what I learned in 2011 is that keeping a blog going uh, over a long period, but even a short period, this is really hard work. And and I think keeping group blogs going is even harder. So although I I think that probably people might check yes, this is, blogs are part of their plan in, in in filling out surveys. When the rubber meets the road and it actually gets done, ninety
2: four percent just seems like an extremely high number. Uh, this recent survey report, Dennis, is interesting. Kevin O'Keefe, a good friend of ours, he says that 75% of the Amlaw 200 are already blogging. So I don't think it's a real stretch to believe that another 20 law firms are going to start blogging this coming year. That doesn't really do, doesn't surprise me very much. What's interesting to me, though, is whether or not these initiatives are going to be successful. You know, blogs come and go, and their success depends entirely on content. It is, is it thoughtful? Is it engaging? Is it good writing? And Or is it just providing links to a news story or writing about a major accident that occurred in the area. I think as others I've read about have pointed out, while new blogs will undoubtedly appear next year, there's going to be a lot of blogs that kind of go to sleep and die and and slowly fade away. So I don't expect to see that deluge of blogs that uh, has been predicted, but I am definitely interested to see what kind of efforts these firms put forth in the coming year.
1: Tom, the day of doing most of
2: your legal work on a smartphone is... Is distant for most of today's lawyers. I don't want to do my work on a smartphone. It's too small. It's hard to navigate around a document. It's hard to get onto a website and look for information. Uh, The mobile websites don't provide enough information on that small screen of a smartphone. On the other hand... I will say that I think new lawyers and the coming generations of lawyers will increasingly do their jobs on smartphones. I think they already spend most of their time on them anyway. These new lawyers are going to adapt their current practices to the realities of a law practice, and they're going to find a way to make it work. If you had said iPad, I think, instead of smartphone, I'd say that day is here. But doing most of your legal work on a smartphone is something that just isn't here yet. I
1: didn't say iPad because uh, the answer is too easy, but I'm going to say on smartphones also, Tom, that the, the day is here. And and I think it's partly that you have a younger generation that's grown up with, with smartphones and are used to doing things. But I, I, I look at... Uh, uh, what what our friend David Sparks talked about when he wrote his iPad book of of trying to do every everything in his practice on an iPad and was able to do that over a period of months, and I think it can be done for certain practices for for certain lawyers on on a smartphone. And so I, I there's a zillion apps out of there. Some of them are, some of them are really powerful, Tom. And and I think that if you wanted to do it. Uh, it might seem a little crazy, but in the in the,
2: you definitely would be able to accomplish that already. Final word, Dennis. Keeping up with all the developments in legal technology has never been more daunting. <laughs> I, this is first time that in, uh, in many years where I just
1: find that there's whole areas of legal technology that's, it's impossible to keep up with developments. And part of that is that we're, we're sort of seeing what I call the balconization of technology. So if I'm in the, the iPhone world, it's really impossible for me to keep up with what's going on in Android because I just don't use that system. But I think there's a lot that's happening. You see, uh, we talked about lawyers being on wildly different versions. I just think that people out there are trying to keep track of legal technology uh, in general for lawyers. And I'm a great example by writing the legal tech column for the ABA Journal, coming up with topics that are of general interest and general application to all lawyers. Is real, has really gotten difficult because the environment is so uh, so varied out there.
2: Dennis, again, you're wrong. The word is exhilarating. Come on, there's always something new. We, we're living in a time, I think, when the pace of technology is pretty fast, and we're always seeing new products that either replace old technology or make that technology better. And that's really, I think, what it's all about, isn't it? Making technology better and easier so that lawyers can use it to provide better service to their clients. Of course, I think keeping up with it all takes a lot of doing, but fortunately, there's a lot of ways that you can do it through publications like TechnoLawyer or Law Technology News or through any of the great podcasts here on the Legal Talk Network. And that's it. Word Up is over. And in another mylificent upset, I win again. Wait, wait, wait. Dennis, no time to complain. It's head to the big finish. Dennis, will the seven-inch tablet computer be the next big thing in 2012?
1: Uh, look at lawyers. They, there's a whole type of notepad called the legal pad for lawyers. It's 11 inches by 14, 7-inch <laughs> form factor, way too small. Lawyers would be thinking iPad. Tom, what's the biggest tech lesson of the year?
2: I have to say the biggest tech lesson is that technology can alter the course of history, as social media played a huge part this year in the overthrow of governments around the world. Dennis, what's the trend to watch for in 2012? I think it's the the whole mobile world, smartphone,
1: iPad, um, doing work any anytime anywhere, um, with with the com- combining that with apps, uh, just a, a phenomenal area.
2: Tom, best iPad app for lawyers? You know that's tough. There are so many, but if we're talking legal specific, I'm going to go with TrialPad as the best trial or document presentation app. Dennis, what's the best blog of 2011? Uh, Tom, you know, I just announced my
1: annual blog awards, and the the top legal blog for me this year was Adam Smith Esquire, done by Bruce McEwen on legal economics always interesting stuff. And last one, Tom, what was the biggest legal tech development of 2011?
2: You know, I mentioned, I, 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 I mentioned it before. I've got to come back again. I think it has to be the number of big acquisitions this year. HP buying Autonomy right after Autonomy bought Iron Mountain, Symantec buying Clearwell, Adirant buying Client Profiles, CompuLaw, and Rainmaker Software, and Ernst & Young buying Catafora. And don't expect the acquisitions to stop anytime soon. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available uh, on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet at at tkm report so until the next podcast i'm tom mile
1: and i'm dennis kennedy and you've been listening to the kennedy mile report on the legal talk network the premier online legal media network our best idea for 2012 is that you subscribe to this podcast in itunes happy Happy new year everybody
0: the views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by legal talk network It's officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon.